You're listening to the Watermark OC Church Sunday morning Q&A portion of our Sunday service. At Watermark, we have a mission statement that says we want to build a generational community that flourishes in God conversations and the authentic love of Jesus. So one Sunday, every teaching series at least, we hope to model how to have these God conversations. And uh, the Q&A that you're going to hear is by no means an effort to prove that we are the Bible answer people. And uh, it's not stump a pastor. Actually, the aim is simply to give you a humble model for how to do this in the areas where you live, work, and play, how to thoughtfully and empathetically engage in a dialogue with your friends, neighbors, family, and coworkers. So having said that, we sincerely hope you enjoy. And if you have questions, feel free to email us at watermarkoc.com slash questions. Thanks again for listening. We had some questions that came in already, Bucky. We've, we've learned, we've adapted, and we went to social media and asked people what their questions were. And we have a beautiful, perfect icebreaker. And it says, what's your go-to Halloween candy? Yes. Go ahead, Bucky. That's where, this is, I thought we were going to get to this. Yeah. This is the real treasure, it's isn't it? This is the meat. The real thing. This is the meat. This <laughs> is the, the weightier issues. Uh, I have to go with those, uh, the hot tamales, the real spice, the real, the real hot tamales. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I I'm, love those. I'm like a Snickers, Butterfinger, nice. Reese's guy. So that, ma- that, that if you mix hot tamales with Butterfingers together, now that that's really good. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're living on the edge. Yeah. You're living on the edge, man. <laughs> I don't know if I trust you anymore. All right, strong pivot here. And by the way, if you have a question in the room, Isaac's here, and just raise your hand and yeah, boldly shout it out, and we'll we'll look for that in the audience between questions. We got like ten that come in already. Um, I said, uh, how do you trust God in the midst of a financial hardship? Mm, wow. Scriptures maybe that have helped you in the past. Yeah, well, I, I, that's real for me. <laughs> um, so I'm bivocational, so I'm involved in a family business that has suffered greatly because of COVID. And now if we're in a recession, it sort of feels like it in my business. And so it's kind of a little bit of a financial crisis in terms of uh, we're not making money and we're struggling through a difficult time. So how do you trust God? Um, one of the things, again, is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that comes right in the section of Matthew 6. That's Matthew 6, when Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you know, food you're going to have because look at the creation. Your father is good. Look at how he feeds the birds. They don't have barns. Look at how he clothes Solomon in such beauty and he clothes the lilies of the fields. How much more does he care for you? So that's this idea of trust. So to me, trust is I need to seek. Seek week, right? So how do I seek God's righteousness in my business whether the money comes in or not? How am I just and righteous? How am I a gospel light in my business I'm going to focus on that versus focusing about worrying and, and doing things that are out of fear or control. And I'm going to focus on the positive. What can I do? I can seek his kingdom. I can seek being a good leader. I can seek wisdom to make good decisions. I can focus on that, and I can have people pray for me. Mm-hmm. And I do have a guy that asked, how can I pray for you? And I asked to him for him to pray that verse for me because <laughs> I'm feeling anxious mm-hmm. about it. So, yeah, that's, that's part of what I do. Yeah. And I think um, one of the enemy's number one invitations is lies and lies that lead to fear. And um, I, I, I'll point back to what I said a second ago. I do think that's a good tool where you take that fear of financial loss and take it all the way to its end point and just name those things, maybe even spell them out. It's loss of home, it's loss of um, car, it's loss of bills, loss of food. 
and then, and then sit and trade those, those lies for the promises of God. Back to that exercise of, is he on the throne? There's a, and there's just Google even. What are, the, what are 25, 35, 105 promises of God? Is, are you in fact his children? Does he actually have an inheritance for you? Is he actually good? And, and you can exchange those lies for truths. And uh, even out loud, maybe he's good. Yeah, and, and good counsel. We have people in our church that are deacons of finance, and mm-hmm. they're happy to counsel. Sometimes financial crisis is because we don't have a budget. Um, we've been living with too much debt, and so we need to make decisions to, to get our house in order and align with God's word. And so <clears throat> getting counsel of people that understand biblical wisdom is yep. a good thing as well. That's awesome. That's yeah. Great. Next question says, Tip, tips for a situation um, when you have a family member or close friend, you want to grow together in communication, and they respond negatively, and whether that's denial or past issues or blame game. As Christians, are we, um, we're told to show grace, but if the other's not willing, whether it be family or close friend, if they're not willing to grow and mature with us, what should we do? Just pray there's change, or are there other practical tools? Well, I think that, uh, as you said, you're, you're going to this person, you're speaking the truth in love, you're laying out your heart for what, how you would want the relationship to continue in a more healthy way. Um, I think um, if the person's not willing to go there with you, it's appropriate at times to set boundaries, um, especially if it's a family system, it's a parent-child relationship, um, and there's unhealthiness in that relationship, to be able to set a boundary and say, I'm not going to participate in this part of the relationship because it's unhealthy, because it's toxic, uh, and to, under- to express why that is is an appropriate thing to do. Yep, absolutely. You know, so, yeah. yeah, so that's the pra- practical answer. I totally agree with that, and I'll, I'll, I'll give a, a spiritual one. Um, uh, intercession is one of the number one tools to, quote-unquote, change someone. So my biggest mistakes and my biggest growth areas has been when I've, I've tried to change someone, grow them up and mature them or whatever I think I should make them into my own image. And then I try and do that by being pushy or uh, truth-telling or, you know, manipulating or <laughs> backdooring with other people that should go make an intervention with them. And um, one of my mentors is huge on just praying for them behind their backs. <laughs> And it's a wonder. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. Because two things are going to happen. Number one, I actually do believe that supernaturally they're going to change because of the tools and the power of prayer. But number two, something in you is going to change. Because um, so often God in our relationships is using um, the circumstance of the person to grow something in both of us, to renew something, to mature something in both of us. Even if you're suffering on behalf of this relationship, what is he producing in you? And so I'd say one of the number one tools in those situations is the boundaries and you know safety, and that you got to do that. You communicate what limitations are, and and stay clear with that. But also pray, pray, and don't cease in praying for that person. Is there someone in the room? No, we got a couple more here, and then this says, um, "Is baptism required to enter heaven?" Great question, and the answer is. Yes and no. It's a trick answer. <laughs> the yes part is baptism is required because that's what happens when you believe in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit baptizes you into the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Holy Spirit places you into his death and resurrection. Baptism is a spiritual reality that happens when you say yes to Jesus Christ. 
It's not a work of man, it's a work of God. <laughs> when we get baptized physically in the church, we're proclaiming a truth that's already happened. So if you said yes to Jesus, and then all of a sudden you got hit by a car, and you weren't baptized in the church with Ben, you'd still go to heaven because you're baptized by the Holy Spirit when you believe in Jesus Christ. You're placed into the death and resurrection of Christ. The thief on the cross, when he said yes to Jesus in that conversation, he's being baptized by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says, you're going to be in heaven because you're going to be baptized into my death and my resurrection. It's a spiritual reality. We just proclaim that reality when we do it in front of the church and align ourselves with it. It's a powerful moment of obedience. But the, the part that we do is not salvation. It's the belief in Christ and what he's done for us. So it's kind of a yes and a no. Yeah, it I is. Guess, yeah, yeah so. I, I'm totally with that. I agree completely. To console you, because I understand some people are really categorical in their thinking, like me, um, a, pra a pragmatic answer is no. A physical, but you already said this, so I'm just affirming it. A physical, you know, water, baptism, we don't find that in Scripture, that that's a requirement for salvation. There's a great verse where John the Baptist says, there's one coming after me. He's going to baptize with the Spirit and with fire. That's what you just said. Yes, yes. And that's the baptism by the Holy Spirit that enters you. But everywhere else, we have such consoling words from Paul and other writers that say, when you declare with your lips, profess, profess from your lips, from your heart, that Christ is Lord, you are saved. We have, we have such a, I don't know how many different words we can use for that, but the one that he really uses is declared righteous, right standing. That's for every single person who professes from their lips. So let that be an absolute eternal security answer for you. Uh, this is a fun one. Uh, how does one switch over from Catholicism to Protestantism? Catholic to Protestant. Nice. Um, how does one switch over? Um, I would say one switches over when they decide to align their life and doctrine uh, with a church that would be under the banner of Reformed theology. And so they would choose to say, I'm, I'm going to begin to attend a church. I'm going to receive um, the doctrines that come out of the Reformation. And I'm going to choose to walk in those. And basically, in a, in a, in a certain way, I'm going to trust Jesus personally as my Lord and Savior. And I'm not going to trust the church as the arbitrator of my salvation. I'm going to trust Jesus as the arbitrator of my salvation. And so it's not, it's not the priest. It's not the Catholic church that holds my salvation. It's Jesus Christ that holds my salvation. And I have a personal relationship with him through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would say that's a that's a line in my, yeah. my understanding. Yeah, and so um, even the two of us have nuances to our answers. That's the fun of conversations, that we can agree to disagree or agree mostly and just have a nuance to it. But um, And this is not formal church position. We're having a conversation, right? But for me personally, if you're asking me personally, I believe that Catholics and Protestants can be Christians. I count them both as the worldwide tribe of Christians and that it would come down to the heart posture. I just have such a weighty respect for for when scripture says it's the posture, the character and content posture of a heart that saves a person, that that's what I would be looking at. Not that I could all the way, only God can peer in and look at the heart of, of repentant, authentic Catholic believers and repentant, authentic, you know, um, Protestant believers. My, my, my thing that I like to dwell on is that, and recently I've been thinking about this because I have some dear Catholic friends, that what a, what a unifying wonder that we all might have the Holy Spirit 
There could be authentic Catholics who know Jesus and have a personal relationship with Jesus, and they have the Holy Spirit, and it's the same Holy Spirit that you and I have as evangelicals. What a stunning unifying force for the, for the global church. And then after that, I'm in agreement with, all, with the practical things Bucky said. A lot of it is about church membership and church tradition. So evangelicals tend to overemphasize the word of God over tradition, and then Catholics tend to flip-flop that. We emphasize tradition over the word of God. They maintain both. They maintain both. One author says it's like a tricycle, three wheels of a tricycle, okay? And that, in those three wheels, you have tradition, the word of God, and experience. Tradition, word of God, and experience. Which one gets to be the big wheel? So in the evangelical tradition, typically our big wheel is the word of God. Some evangelicals over-worship and idolatry with the word of God, using it to crush people. <laughs> and that's our, that's our slippery slope. The band can come up, you guys can come up. And then Catholics and their big wheel is probably tradition. And maybe sometimes they overdo it with tradition. And that's the balance of our, of our tribes. Yeah, and I wouldn't be in conflict with Ben's answer. Yeah. Uh, I was not using my answer to say that there aren't Catholics that are not Christians. I believe there, I know Catholics that are Christians that have that understanding and personal relationship with Christ. So you can be in the Catholic Church and be a Christian, yeah. just like you can be in the Protestant Church and not be a Christian. Yep. So, totally. Yep. No, we agree. We agree. We're not fighting. We're not just fighting that. fine, yeah. <laughs> um, there's that last question here we won't get to, but we did do a video for it. It asks about the world escalating towards, um, you know, militaries and wars, and, and there's innocent life on the table on both sides, and how do we respond? And we did a little video on the church's YouTube. If you, it's long and it's really analytical. But if you're interested in that question, you can go to the church's YouTube and uh, find out more. Question out front. And you can use the website um, that will be up there if you want to send a question anonymously. For now, go, go ahead, please, Jenna. Okay. I was wondering if we could speak a little more into suffering. What does it mean to actually suffer well? Because I think as Christians, it's like, it feels overwhelming. Like, I want to run away and avoid. Like, is there a way to avoid suffering for, for Christ? How do I do? How do you do it well? Mm. Great question, Jenna. Thank you. That's a great question. Um, I think, uh, as somebody said, when you do what Jesus did, you get what Jesus got. And it seems it's inevitable when you love Jesus. There are people. It's going to become evident to people around you, whether that's in your family. It's going to be evident to people in the workplace. It's going to be evident to maybe your culture. And as a result, there's going to be pushback. That might be emotional, physical, could be spiritual, you know, just from the warfare of what it means to live for Christ. And so suffering is a part of this gig, and I don't think um, we can really avoid it. It's going to come some way or another. Um, how do you suffer well? I think suffering well uh, involves um, getting uh, a lot or having community in your life. I think uh, suffering alone is really hard without community. So having people that are like-minded, that will support you and encourage you in your suffering has been a huge part of when I've had to suffer. And um, I'm not talking about specifically just for preaching Christ, but just when trials and struggles have come into my life, having people that are like-minded praying for me, that's been huge. So community is a huge part for suffer, of suffering well. Yeah, I agree. The, the words that are jumping to mind is lament, healthy lament. So again, don't mistake this teaching series as some macho thing. We don't cry. Where we are entirely broken. Go on. Go on and be broken and weep. Yeah, yeah. I, 
I think what Bucky's doing is linking them, and, and, I, and I think both are fruitful. I'd, I'd at least just continue that if that's your question. I, I'd link it and say whether you had a, because Bucky's had, he talked about last weekend, six some odd surgeries. You know, he's had personal bodily suffering in his mind, body, and soul, and, and those are effective for producing fruit. Those are, those are, those are the Scripture says those are, those are productive for like this immovable metal, these metals that can't be, you know, broken. And so um, I think both are worthwhile and worthy. Some, some could be maybe needless for someone that doesn't have healthy boundaries or allows themselves to be, you know, abused or engaged in some patterned thing that, you know, um, like that. But, it, but even that, by the way, like could produce fruit. That's the crazy thing if you maintain that position. So I think lament yeah. is good, community is good. Just to the question of how, because I think that's a really good question, Jenna. Someone might be thinking, well, how do we do that well? I, I, lament and community yeah. are two big ones. Yeah, and I think, I think also the perspective of uh, if we're suffering in this world because it's disease or sickness or normal stuff, not, not particularly because we've shared the gospel and somebody persecuted us, that suffering is an opportunity of the gospel, right? So when people watch you suffer with hope, even though the world's crashing in upon you, you've lost your job, you have cancer, and you suffer with hope, and you suffer and you realize that suffering, there's something redeemable there, and you realize you're not alone, but God is with you in that suffering, people see that. Nurses see that. Doctors see that. It's a witness for the gospel. Right. And so that's a part of suffering in a sense when you choose to make it that way. That's suffering with Christ with you. That's gospel suffering. Yeah. You know? Thanks, Jenna. Great question. This question says, how do you teach or model everyday suffering to raising children? So there's, as with all these questions, there's a great physical, emotional, and spiritual component. Um, when mom and dad are having a conflict, and we learn this from these we learned that from these old timers that it's okay to, to fight fair in front of your kids. It's kind of an interesting idea, isn't it? It assumes you can fight fair, <laughs> by the way, um, you know, because they're gonna, caught, they're gonna catch that watching you deliberate and, and watching you have your conflict out in front of them. Um, but, you know, that's emotional grit. That, that's relational grit. That's conversational grit to be able to say, okay, we're not gonna hide this or dress this up or or put it over here. We're going we're gonna to have this out and we're going to come to resolution or not and still have peace, peaceable, fighting fairness. So there, there's an emotional one. I'll just give it a physical one and pass it to you, Bucky. Um, a lot with kids in the physical space is like, we don't give them everything they want. We don't give them everything they want. I mean, what, what better way to try and stemmy the, the consumeristic tide of where we're all, you know, kind of living today if it weren't for just saying, hey, we're going to place limits. And by the way, that's not just some secular idea. To not give them everything they want. God gives us limits. That's called loving discipline. When you put limits over your children, God does the same thing for us. We can't do everything. We can't be God. And so that works across the board. But there's intentional things. This is a trip to Mexico this last Sunday. We would have gone, but we had a childcare issue. Take them out of the bubble and let them just see. Let them see, taste, touch, and feel yeah. people that have it differently. Homelessness in Costa Mesa, we do that every month. Right. And choices and consequences. Um, you know, there's this whole idea that was part of my upbringing and parenting. is like there's these helicopter parents that come in and rescue their kids every time. I had par- we had friends that did their kids' homework for them so they didn't get bad grades, made, fill out their applications to college so they got the right college. It's like we're rescuing them from any real-world stuff. So choices and consequences. Give your kids choices and give them healthy, safe consequences so they can learn that everything doesn't always work out well in life. Even sometimes our decisions provide the suffering because we've chosen it, you know? Yeah. And so that's a great way to teach about suffering. Yeah, we call suffering. those yeah. natural consequences. That's yeah. a great everyday example. There's a question somewhere in person? Go ahead. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, Jim. Hey, uh, can you qualify or, like, 
kind of give us an idea about like what does war or battle look like and what you're, you're talking about this whole like spiritual battle, spiritual war. What does war um, look like in the context of, of Ephesians 6? Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, in the context of your teaching today, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I would just reiterate really briefly what, what, I, what I've said, which is Paul says that we have this unseen battle in the spiritual realm of evil, evil forces contending. And then we take that alongside this understanding that there is the prince of the air, that is Satan, who's, like I said a second ago, been given some delegated authority. Again, but even that acknowledges the ruler. And, and, and why would he do that? Why would God you know, be in cahoots with the devil if it weren't for some redemptive end, which is what we're talking about in this series, is suffering or persecution or hard things. And so if you have that paradigm and you have the enemy still as an active agent in this natural world, um, that's the picture of warfare. And so um, I've given some examples in the message about fear, worry, anxiety, depression. Some of those are natural biological genetic things. Some of those are spiritual things. What we believe at this church about the body is that it's an integrated whole. So mind, body, and soul. Those are the quote-unquote psychosomatic. That just means when you have a mind thing, maybe you've experienced this. Have you ever had such a mental or emotional season that plagued you so hard you had a physical outgrowth of that mental or emotional issue? Of course. Even to the, to the extent of, man, I have acid reflux or I'm gritting my teeth and I have this pain in my side or I have sleepless nights. Well, what are your body is telling you there's physical consequences for the emotional, spiritual dynamic of who you are. That's a, that's a proof right there for the fact that we have souls. And so that gets waged and, and we try to give you some tools. The word of God, community, prayer, intercession. Those are, those are tangible tools in this natural world to fight. Yeah, I like what helps me make sense of it is to say, where, where's the battle fought? And the Bible talks about three battlegrounds, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the three places we fight this battle. Um, we fight it against uh, deceptive ideas. Satan is using deceptive ideas, false ideas, false ideologies, right? The, the lies, right? Deceptive ideas to play on our disordered desires, our flesh is about disordered desires. We put ourself above God. It's disordered. The gospel reorders it, but his lies play on disordered desires in a world that affirms destructive life. So the world affirms sin. The world affirms this. So we're fighting the battlegrounds in those three, three areas. And so that helps me make sense of it. Good. World, flesh, and the devil. We're up to the top of the clock here. The worship team's going to come up, but um, yeah, th there's just a really quick one that we can do fast. Someone said, I have a family member coming from the Catholic Church, and they're coming to visit, which would be a good Sunday. The, the answer is any Sunday. would be really good. Coming into the holiday season, um, that's a great time. To, people are ready to say yes to your holiday requests for church, so please consider that. Um, we'll do Q&A again, even in you know this next um, month, so... Um, get excited for that. Thank you so much, guys, for your questions. We, I'm sorry we couldn't get to all Great of them. Questions. Thanks, Bucky. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we'll do a... Hello. Oh, yeah. What's so cool is I was over there in our Spanish-speaking segment preaching to those folks over there. They are on fire. You guys got to meet those guys and get to know that church community over there. That's our church community. We're one church, two voices, but a great community of people that spills out on the patio. It's so fun what God's doing in our church. Thanks, Bucky. Awesome. Thank you. We'll, we'll do a podcast to address a couple more of those questions you might have had. It's not too late. Fire, send them in, please. Use that link and send them in and we'll do a follow-up conversation um, just to encourage you and equip you. For now, let's stand and receive communion. Jesus, thank you so much, God. 
for the grace of your word. It's powerful and effective, even now, even in this world. It never fails, Lord God. Thank you so much for the sacraments of your body and your blood, that we can receive this grace. God, I just pray that it would renew and encourage us until you come again. We love you, Lord. We renew our vows with you now. In Jesus' name, amen. When you're ready, you can go to the tables in the back or the front uh, and break bread. We hope you enjoyed today's episode covering the questions and answers from this particular topic. If you have further questions, remember watermarkoc.com slash questions, or you can get in touch with a pastor. Go to watermarkoc.com, click on the link for coffee with a pastor. We would love to begin a conversation with you.